0: Ben Stiller was in a Limp Bizkit music video Ben Stiller was in a Limp Bizkit music video Ben Stiller was in a Limp Bizkit music video Ben Stiller Limp Bizkit Hi and welcome back to Words I Mispronounce as an Adult This week's episode is sponsored by the word Especially Especially. Where'd you get the X from, dude? There's not an X in there. So last week, I talked about this idea of draft releasing albums, with the purpose of that idea being to display growth over a period of time while working on a project. And it's that idea of growth that I want to talk to you about this week. I know that that concept in itself is probably a little bit subjective and kind of abstract, but it's been a something that's been on my mind a lot recently, and I think I really wanna talk about it. It's been bugging me a lot, so I'm just gonna unpack a bunch of stuff that's been in my old noggin. As artists and as people, we develop identities for ourselves over the course of our lives. And within those identities are characteristics, sounds, behaviors, value structures. And as artists, we put into our work. Albums are like snapshots, um, you know, representations of a moment in time. Once those specific moments become distributed in the form of an album, and people consume that specific moment in time, it can define who we are. People consume that album, they spend time with it, they relate to it. It defines moments in their lives, but it's tough because you change as an artist. And we've all had it happen. Our favorite band releases a new album. We're super stoked about it. We listen to it and immediately we're disappointed. And we need to talk about that moment because I think it's really important and I think it's very complex what's going on because intersecting all at once are your memories and your history with the band's music, how you've changed as a person since you first heard the band's music, how the band has changed, how they've approached changing as a band, and how popular music has changed since the band released that first project that you fell in love with. And in some instances, the result of all those aspects combining all at once are amazing, they're wonderful. And like I said before, sometimes they're just disappointing. But people don't remain the same, even if we don't wanna always admit it. I could write a song right now, today, and a year from now, I can listen back to that song, and I can't necessarily say that I'm this, I this—I would be the same person who wrote that song. And in many cases, I really hope that I wouldn't be the same person. <sighs> then there's the context in which the audience discovers your music that we need to talk about. I was in 8th or ninth grade, I think, when I bought Weezer's Blue Album at FYE at a mall in Charlotte on this cold, rainy weekend, because I was down there for a soccer tournament. I bought it while we were just like waiting in between matches, just hanging out at the mall, and I'm pretty sure I made my dad listen to that whole album for the entire three-hour car ride back on a loop. So, thank you, Dad, for being patient. I love that album. It, that album sits very near and dear to my heart, because as a 13, 14-year-old, the nerdy, angsty, kinda weird vibe that Weezer just brought to the table really resonated with me. And in terms of the subject matter on some of the songs on the album, it was relatable. Those songs in that moment in time felt like they were written about me or the narrative in the song was something that I felt like I was going through. And there's something comforting about that. You know, I listened to that album and there's just such a strong emotional connection. I feel to it even today. I listened to the opening track of My Name Is Jonas and I'm immediately transported back to playing Guitar Hero 3. Fast forward to 2017, I'm in the middle of college and Weezer releases Pacific Daydream. and I hate it. I'm, I, I'm trying not to be one of those people that's like, oh man, Blue Album, Pinkerton era Weezer was the shit man. They were so fucking good. Like, hell yeah, dude. Back in 2017, I wasn't really having a good time. I'll just be straight up about that. So the context of my exposure to that album was completely different than my exposure to the Blue album. And popular music has changed so much. It's been 20 years since Weezer wrote those Blue album songs. So I can, can I really be mad at them for making an album that I don't like? And we can't can't blame people for changing, but I do think we can ask the question, how have they approached the process of change, particularly with bands? Are they just sort of shoving modern elements of the music scene, just haphazardly, just throwing things at their songs to hopefully make them fit into the new context? Or are they introspectively looking at themselves, looking at their surroundings, and moving forward in a really genuine way? I think that's a debatable question with answers that could probably range with any artist. But there's one artist in particular that I think has done a very excellent job of that throughout their career. Tom Petty releases the first Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers album in 1976. Uh, it's self-titled and following album, you're gonna get it very much in that sort of classic rock and roll style. I'd say, sort of similar to what the Eagles had going on at the time, Uh, you know, Steve Miller Band, but still very much Tom Petty. Then 1979, Tom Petty releases Damn the Torpedoes. And I feel like you just, it's such a transitional album between decades. I mean, from the first snare hits of Refugee, I feel like you're very much in like an 80s mindset, which in the best way possible, um, you know, the, the the reverb is the reverb's so 80s on that song, and Don't Do Me Like That is just like a petty pop anthem, which I feel like if you look at the other singles that Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers had released prior to that, releasing Don't Do Me Like That was like a total shift. That's a risk, That's a ri- it's a huge risk, at least for me, because someone could have been like, Oh, shit. Tom Petty's releasing pop music now? Get out of here. Give me that good old rock and roll, Petty, huh? Then you move through the 80s, and I think Tom Petty still remains relevant, because you look at an album like Southern Accents, a song like Rebels, I think that really highlights how he changed throughout that period of time. Like, Rebels you have synthesizers, you have really bright guitars, but it's still very much a rock and roll Petty song. You have gated non-linear reverbs. It's just, it's all the best elements of Tom Petty and the eighties combined into one song. And I love it. I think it's great. Then you move into the nineties and Petty changes again. He teams up with Rick Rubin who had previously worked with the Beastie Boys Slayer and they make Wildflowers together. It's a Tom Petty record for sure, but it's different. The guitars are just like super compressed in your face, they're just like right in your ears. The drums on that album are fantastic, they're just like right in your face. I mean, Wildflowers won like best contemporary engineered record for that for the year it came out, but it's huge. It's considered one of his best works, and I don't think you go 25 years between your first album and Wildflowers and having the end result be considered one of your greatest achievements in your life. You don't do that by being afraid to change and changing in a way that you're just trying to keep up. He was very deliberate about the way he changed and I just have so much respect for that. So I've rambled on about Tom Petty, I've rambled on about Weezer, and now I'm going to try to tie this all together in a way that is meaningful for all of us. So unlike my last two episodes where I was just kinda, you know, shooting from the hip and stuff like that, I actually wrote this one out. And for some reason, writing this episode out, I was thinking a lot about Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken. I have probably haven't read that poem since the beginning of high school. Well, since I was thinking about it, I decided to reread it. And the meaning that I took away from rereading that poem was completely different than what I remember thinking that poem meant. And I think it's pretty common. You know, I, you know, because especially with the last two lines that stick with you. I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. And you're just like, hell yeah, rugged individualism. It's actually kind of tongue in cheek. It really didn't matter what path Robert Frost took. They were both the same. They were equally worn. They both had fresh leaves on the ground that hadn't been walked on yet. So essentially, I bring up all this Robert Frost stuff to say... It doesn't matter what road you take. Just do your best. There's someone who wants to see who you are and who you will become. And there are people that want to see that individual at that moment in time express themselves because that person probably has a lot of really valuable insights and a lot of really cool things to say, which sounds sappy, But I'm all about trying to be supportive of other artists, especially now, just because it's weird right now. We all know that. We all know it's weird. We all know it's weird. So you might as well just live with it and be nice to people. And let's just make some awesome art just to commemorate this wonderful occasion. So thank you very much for tuning in this week to Corey Communicates. I will see you next week. Bye. Alright, hold on, we gotta get, we gotta get a bit of a towel. Oh shit, you're right. Oh, wipe off the mess. Okay. Hold on. Now we gotta. It's too tall, it's too tall.